0: To the Lord, I was saying, God, we want you to turn us into a, a, a community that sees lost people saved, that sees lives transformed, that changes the face of the Twin Cities. Anybody would like to see that prayer answered? Anybody would like to see campuses changed, communities changed, neighborhoods changed? And so I was asking God to do that and Uh, sent out emails to some of my friends in in the Twin Cities asking them to pray with me for that because we felt at Communitas that we were growing and that we wanted to move beyond that into the community, not just draw people here. This is wonderful. It's good to be here. But when the Spirit came on the disciples, the 120 in the upper room, they didn't say, hey, this feels good. Let's stay here. The spirit blew them out of the room, out of the prayer meeting, into the streets. And so, God is God is wanting to thrust us out. And so, we're going to hear a, a, a message about that. Then pray over it. Is Dan here? Dan Clydes, is he? Okay. This is interesting. <laughs> this is very interesting. I may I may be speaking, or may have you speaking, or may do. Worship, but uh, he was in our Permitting. We talked with him from 530 And then prayed at 630 And at 730 because he said He has to be in Northfield At 9 o'clock, which means he's got to leave At 10 to 8. So I said, then you're Preaching right from the start. So Somebody go get Dan Kleitz. Okay So he When, when It's okay It's okay We know John, so so we can understand that. <laughs> Whoa! It's all John's fault. Okay. So Dan Dan called that day, and he had he had planted a church in Northfield, and uh, that church is growing. And he recently left, stepped out, so that he can help people who want to plant churches, people who want to start ministries. And he called me on that day and I said, I think God may be in this. And so I said, come down. I want you to meet communitas people. I want you to talk with them. So we had a time of talking together, a time of praying together. And we're just asking God, what do you have in mind? Isn't that fun? Isn't it fun just to say, God, what are you saying? I look over here and I see my sister. I have five sisters. I love each one of them. My dad used to say, I've got... I've got um, five sisters, and each one has a brother. Oh, you got ten kids? No, we got six kids. <laughs> ha ha ha! So this is this is my sister Lois. She's two years younger. God used her to bring me back to earth, back to reality. And uh, you got to stand up. Yes. She's bashful like I am. So I love my sister Lois, and I love being with her. It takes her about two seconds would get on the phone before we start laughing. So she she really loosens me up. And Dan, he called that day, and so we talked. And uh, I'm, I'm believing that this season is a rich season for us. And he's going to speak, going to be one of his shorter messages, and then you're on your way back to Northfield, and we'll... We'll pray you there, and then we'll be praying as, as after you go. Very good. So thank you. He, he used to be a sports announcer, and then he turned into a pastor, and now he's uh, turning into a church planner. So.
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll speak to that in just a second. Yeah, I, I was in television for 10 years and and then uh, went to seminary because I thought that's what you had to do in order to be qualified to work in the church. That was the model that was given to me, but I've been awakened to the fact that, well, that's, that's just fine and dandy. But the key, the key for being a real leader in the church is are you an equipper or not? Not are you doing all the ministry, but are you teaching, training, encouraging others to do the ministry? And we've got too many uh, traditional clergy all worn out. Believe me, I'm, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys, 60 and they can't wait till they retire. And, and what we really need is folks that say, uh, I want to equip the younger generation so that I can get excited about not being 60 and retiring, but about being 60 and I have something to give the younger folks. And for the younger folks to say, I receive it, and I don't have to be ordained to be a marketplace minister. But instead, where God has planted me, uh, maybe it's in business, maybe it is in government, maybe it's in education, but where you're at, that's, where you're, that's, your, that's your flock, if you will, and to be given permission to see that. Because what does the secular world say? Keep it to yourself. It's okay to bring it to church on a Sunday morning. Keep it inside the temple. But don't bring it out into the marketplace on Monday. And who who, who starts speaking that lie? Well, Satan did, of course, because he could care less if we uh, worship on a Sunday morning, hands in the air, loud music and all that great stuff, so long as we don't bring it into the marketplace on Monday. That's where we get him ticked off. And I suggest that we become a bunch of folks that tick off the devil. Amen. And then a lot of folks say, but uh-oh, isn't he awfully powerful? No. Well, yeah. <laughs> does Satan have any power? He, he does have power. What does he, what does he have to have... This is a trick question. What does he have to have to go with that power in order to get anything done? Man's agreement. Let's, let's call it authority. Let's think about that. Now, uh, in the beginning, uh, Satan, when he was cast down here, he had plenty of power, but he didn't have any authority. So he spoke to Adam and Eve about, hey, why don't you hand over your authority to me? Because if you do, everything will be better for you. Well, that was a lie. And so they said, okay, we'll give you the keys And then suddenly, Satan had both power and authority. Now we're in trouble. Until Jesus came along, crucified, died, buried, raised again, said, those keys belong to me. They're the keys of the kingdom. And now I'm giving them back to you. So now we've got to be good stewards of keys. There's a lot of locks locks around us. Locks all over the place. Locks are of the devil. They say, stay out or stay in. Either they say, stay out, you're not welcome into this grace, or stay down, you're, you're you're a piece of junk. And Jesus said, I've come to give you keys to unlock that, what needs to be unlocked, people's lives, and to lock down those things that need to be locked down, the lies of the devil. So people's lives are to be released, the lies of the devil are to be locked down. That's when you know you're doing the work of the church is when you're walking around with keys because now you've got power and authority. I'll put it in a military type of speaking. If you're a, a private in the army and a very good sharpshooter, wonderful gun, a bullet inside, you've been trained, you could kill. The trouble is you have no authority to do so. You've got the power, but you need someone to say, it's okay to shoot now. Or you could be a five-star general. You've got plenty of what? Authority. But without an army, you you can't deliver a blow. So we need power and authority. Now think to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's conquered sin and death. He has the keys of the kingdom have been handed over. And say not even the gates of Hades will prevail against you. So start acting like it. Instead of acting like victims, act like victors, you've got a key. And when you have a key, locked doors begin to shake. They go, oh, dang. Here comes Alice. She's got keys. I am no longer any good. That's right. So he comes along, and the the last thing he says to his disciples is, all power and authority have been given to me. By who? The five-star general, God himself. So Jesus now, who says the Father and I are one and the same. So when he speaks, we know that it's God speaking. All power and authority have been given to me by the Father. And now what? I give it to you. (sighs) And he blows it on us. Now, take the key. It doesn't belong to me. Yes, it does. Well, who said so? Jesus did. Right? So now you've got the power and the authority not because you're so great, but because God is so great, and He's given it to us to do what? Jesus says, "Greater things than I." A lot of people say, "I can't do greater things than Jesus." Jesus Himself said, "You can do greater things than Jesus." Now, what's He talking about? You, or is He talking about the body? Hmm. Yeah, you know, we can wrestle with that one a little bit. Then, in the Great Commission, all power and authority have been given to me. Now, I want you to what? Stay put, build temples develop great programs, uh, advertise worship at 10 o'clock on Sundays, ring the bell and expect everybody to come to me. He didn't say that. He said what? Go. 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 You know, when I was in high school, I was in track, and I was like a 400, 800 guy. 800 is like, yeah, that's right. The best athletes in track are 800, 400, right? That's what we always say. And And so when that gun went off, I went for two laps as hard as I could. And I mean as hard as I could to the point when I hit that tape, I was spent. I, I, I fell over. My buddies had to help me. My legs were wobbly. It took me a while to recover, you know, a few, a few minutes or maybe even an hour. I used to think that's what Jesus meant when he said go. Go as hard as you can, as hard as you can, hit the tape, and then you're done for a while. Take a rest. Relax. But for those of you who are scholars... In Greekaholics, you will know that the word go means as you go on your way. As you go to the market to pick up a a gallon of milk, that is a short-term mission uh, trip right there. (laughs) And even if you don't say to anybody, uh, are you a believer or not, uh, can you walk into that market and say, in the name of Jesus, I speak peace and blessing. That comes from Luke chapter 10. He says, when you go out, speak peace over the house. It changes the spiritual climate. That's your job. Besides picking up the gallon of milk. Yeah, that's a different thing. So as you go on your way to school, that's your sphere of influence. That's You're a marketplace minister there. As you go into the business world, that's your sphere of influence. Those are the, pe- the people around you. That's your, that's, your, that's your congregation, if you will. You don't have to announce yourself as the reverend. They'll probably laugh at you anyway. But you just just be to them. Just be that. When Jesus is, he's looking for models for discipleship, because no one's going to uh, say, "I'm going to join a church or, or follow you," unless you're worth following, or they see that your life has changed. And that's why he says, "Go and make disciples." You didn't say put a gun to the head, force them to do it, threaten them to do it, or guilt them to do it. If you've ever tried that, it doesn't work long term. It doesn't transform anyone's heart. Go and make disciples of all nations. We don't know how to do that, so we settle for individuals. And there's nothing wrong with you know, bringing someone to Christ, but uh, we talked up earlier tonight, and thank you for those who came earlier. Uh, addition is our problem in the church. You know, we always say something really religious like, oh, you know, just one at a time for Christ. That's awesome. That's wonderful. And it sounds so religious and wonderful. But the trouble is, by the way, are we uh, 7 billion people in the world and uh, at least half of them aren't Christian or know Jesus? So tell me, is addition working in the world today? No, it's not. We have to multiply. How do you multiply? I can't do it all myself any more than Jesus could. So what did he do? He found some disciples, as bungling of fools as they were, and he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, and and now they became dangerous disciples. And that's great because we're bumbling fools too sometimes, and yet God says, I could use a guy like you with my spirit. So go and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, We don't know what to do, so we settle for individuals. This is how you get to the nations, you guys. When you live out your faith in the marketplace every single day, and we multiply ourselves, so there's like a lot of us doing it every single day, you will change the business world. You will change the world of education. You will change government. And when you change the marketplaces, you change nations' attitudes. A nation becomes more like Christ. Therefore, just look in the Bible sometime. How often does Jesus say, or God, to the nations, to the nations, to the nations? You have to do that by multiplying. So go, therefore, he says, and make disciples, followers of me, of not just individuals, and settle for that's good enough, where we did our best, but we multiply for the sake of the nations. Baptize them. In other words, bring them into the fold. Help them die to themselves to be raised again to a new life. Bring them into a body. And then he goes on and, and teaches them a whole bunch of head stuff about me. So they're really smart about all sorts of Bible study trivia. He didn't say that and 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 bible study is wonderful and important but he said teach them to what guess what to obey teach them to obey to obey what follow me and by the way while you're doing this you're not by yourself there'll be tough times in this world you will have troubles says jesus take heart i've overcome it i'm i've won the keys i've got power and authority i give them to you you walk in victory not as a victim Alright? So start acting like you believe that's true and follow me. I'll show you. I'll model for you. I'll be your rabbi. You'll be my apprentice. I will help you uh, intern underneath me. And the next thing you know, you're going to be a rabbi to someone else. And rabbis were always the oldest guy in the room. So that means Jesus as the oldest guy in the room at age 33, that means no one was older than 33. Isn't that interesting? Now here's the deal. The older you get... You know the cool part. There's some good things to getting older. All right, you can hold. There's no one older than you, so you are the head rabbi. Why are you looking at me? I. That was just. <laughs> that was an accident. Yeah. We talked about this upstairs. One of the great things about getting older is you're supposed to be getting stronger in your faith. So even as your body may fail you, you still have something to contribute. And and young folks will are, are am I not right? Are looking for someone that says I care enough about you and and I want to impart into you uh, the God stuff that I've been given and, and my wisdom, godly wisdom, to you so you can multiply it. I bet young people are just hunkering for that kind of stuff, but older folks don't know that. So we need to help the older folks be understanding that they have got a job and the job is to make disciples and the younger folks to realize that Man, I could really use someone who's been around the block, made a few mistakes, learned to be forgiven. So it's not about being perfect. It's about being faithful. And that's why Jesus said, And I am with you always as you do this, even until the very end of the age. Let me wrap up with this. Matthew 4. That was Matthew 28. Matthew 4. Jesus meets up with Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. These guys are fishing. Jesus comes up to them and says three real, very powerful things. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? They dropped their nets and followed him. That's insane. Who does that? Well, people that were looking for some purpose of life, perhaps. You know, they were making a living, perhaps a good living, fishing. It's all they really knew. By the way, the reason they were fishing is because they were not selected to go to the rabbi's school. So they feel like they're rejects. And here comes Jesus, the rabbi, and says, You rejects are actually the guys that I'm going to be looking for. That ought to make all of us feel pretty good. Right? And then, so, and he didn't go to the seminary, he didn't go to the temple to find his 12 best guys or 11 best guys, depends on how you want to look at it. He went to the marketplace, he went to the lake. And he called those folks not out of a job, he said, I could use guys that are skilled fishermen. They're tenacious. They work hard. They, they can battle storms. They don't quit. They provide for their family. They provide for the community. I could use some church planners that think of the community like that. So he didn't go to the fat cats in the temple who sit around all day going, hmm, I'm holy, I'm holy. I'm looking for guys that are out there working, that have a heart for people that are broken and hurting, and I'm going to train them in a seminary called Follow Me. That's the new seminary, Follow Me. So it's an on-the-job training. Now, did they do a very good job over the last three years of, of following him all the time? They flunked, but the professor hung in there with them. You know that. Get that? Hung in there with them. Yeah. And the reason why they scored an A is because he gave them an A. Not because they earned it or deserved it. It's because God desires to give it. Yeah. So follow me. I will make you. I will transform you. I will do the work. You simply need to what? Follow me. So when Jesus said uh, later, teach them to obey, teach them to follow me, because when you follow me, I'll do the work of transforming your life. What's your work involved? Trusting him enough to follow him. And how, what will happen? He will transform your life so that you'll take the skills of life whether it's in business or, or whatever thing you go into or whatever thing you're into now. You are a disciple who is a, a minister of your sphere in your marketplace with an impact that's important and pastors like myself appreciate that because I can't go into a business and, and, and preach or, or teach or anything because uh, I'm not an employee there. They'll kick me out. But you are, and they're not going to kick you out. Now, I didn't say jump on your soapbox and yell, you brood of vipers, repent or die. But, I, but look up uh, Luke chapter 10 sometime, and Jesus says, bless and speak peace, uh, develop relationships, trustworthy ones, so the unchurched can trust you. Because right now they're kind of looking at you, I don't know if I can trust a Christian. They've had a bad experience or two or three. And then the next step is begin to minister to them. And the next step is then proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. That could take four minutes, four seconds, or 40 years. It doesn't. The point is, uh, it's not a race, and it's not a checking it off your to-do list. It's a, are you going to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. All right. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray blessing upon this gathered group here tonight. Father, that uh, you will begin to light fires, relight fires, or reawaken us to a greater calling of our place in the marketplace, Father. Help us hear you say follow me so you can transform us, make us into something that we are not, and yet using us for who we are. We thank you for the privilege of being your followers, your disciples in Jesus' Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Dan.
0: Let's thank Dan. you, <laughs> Okay, worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Thank you that you've chosen us. Thank you that you've called us. Thank you that you empower us. Thank you that you give us a mission. You give us a destiny. You give us a purpose. We're not here by chance. We're not just taking up space on the planet. But you have a plan for us. It's not a generic plan. Individualized. Answers to the way we are wired, God. Thank you. We give our hearts to you now in worship and praise. We also give our hearts to you to be instruments of your love to a dying world. Do it in our hearts, O God.